on nation building. Last week we spoke about education. Pastor Mike did a fantastic job of introducing the concept of a nation that is educated is a nation that grows. And that if we are going to accomplish the goals that God has for us as a nation, we're going to have to pursue learning and we're going to have to make it one of our goals. Not only, not only academically, but we have to be a growing people. We are going to continue today and we're going to be talking about economics. I don't know if you are aware of this, but in 1974, every, well, every year a Nobel Prize is given in out in economics. In 1974, a Nobel Prize was given to two economists. The really amazing thing is that these two economists had the absolute opposite ideas of how an economy should run. Now that may seem strange to you, but it just exemplifies the economics world. There are two cardinal rules of economics. The first one goes like this. That for every economist, there is an equal and opposite economist. And the second cardinal rule goes like this. They're both wrong. <laughs> no, and I'm sure we, if we have, do we have any economists here in the room? Anyone studying economics? Yes, at the back there. Great. There's only one who knows what's going on. Go and ask her. <laughs> but I guess what, what this shows is that economics is not really an exact science. Is that the world is spending a lot of time studying economies and studying what's going on in nations and trying to work out formulas and patterns and trying to predict what will happen if you do this and that. And guess what? They know a bit, but they don't want anything. But we have the most profound economics textbook. It doesn't list detail by detail where you should put your money and how you should brush your teeth in the morning, but it certainly gives us the principles of sound economic government in the nation. In the first five books of the Bible, it's called the Pentateuch. It's the books written by Moses. And in there, there's this statement. God says he's giving these laws to them so that there would be no poor amongst them. There is a profoundly deep desire in the heart of God that we would produce economies and write constitutions and have nations set up in a way that poverty would be alleviated and everyone would become productive in this community. So in that, we're going to pray. Father, I thank you that you are here with us today. Lord, I thank you that, that you have a plan with the Father. Lord God, we, we've heard the news reports and we are not afraid. Lord, we've heard what's been going on and what's been said all over the place and we're not afraid. Lord God, we stand firmly on the rock of your truth that you bless your people, that we will never see our children forsaken or begging for bread. Lord God, we stand on your word that you became poor so that we could become rich in you. And Lord God, that you prosper your people. Not because you're obligated, but because you're a prosperous God who has what we need, who is a, has abundance in every area. Lord God, I thank you that our, our vats are overflowing and our warehouses are brimming over. Lord God, I thank you that our homes are full, Lord God, and that our children are 
And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen. Jesus told an interesting story in Luke 19. He was trying to explain to his disciples that the kingdom of God was not going to come now. They pretty much wanted a Messiah that would ride into town on a beautiful white steed, sword in hand, cut off the Romans' heads, establish them as kings and rulers, and give all the money to them. Bam. That's really what he wanted. They wanted a, a liberation army to come in and turn the social order upside down, bam, and they would be on top. Here's the amazing thing. The kingdom doesn't work like that. The kingdom is not about who's on top and who's on the bottom. Because the kingdom works like that. They don't get to be on top. So Jesus is never going to come and overthrow an order and just make a new order that's with someone else on top. That's just not how his kingdom works. So Jesus did come riding into town with white legs. And he did something remarkable. What they didn't realize it wasn't the Romans that were doing this. It was a way of thinking that had gotten into their hearts that made them believe that they were less than the person next to them. It was a way of thinking that got into their heart that, that made them think of themselves as downtrodden and hard done by. And he reached right into that and he said, That is not what you are. And from start to finish, he trained them. He trained them to be great. He trained them to be people like my circumstances. I am going to make you prosper. And in my prosperity, I'm going to bring multitudes into that. So instead of being on top for my own gain, I'm going to climb under my community and I'm going to lift them up. So Jesus wanted to explain to them that this thing that they were hoping for didn't exist. This is not happen. And he wanted to explain to them a new way of thinking. And he told this parable, and we're going to read it together. He started off and he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten miners, and said to them, Do business till I come. Take note of that. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants, to whom he had given the money, to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your miner has earned ten miners. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. Have authority over ten cities. Oh, my word. Immediately, you know what he's saying? He's saying that the way you handle financial determines the level of authority you and the second came saying, Master, your miner has earned five miners. Likewise, he said to him, You also see over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your miner, which I have kept in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are not a dear man. Right off the bat, you know this man didn't understand God at all. 
You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? That at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him and give it to him to him who has ten miners. Immediately your heart is going, oh my word, that's not fair. Cool. But here's the thing, if you're going to release rulers of the cities, you want people who can make these groans. So people who can't make these groans will immediately, if you put them in rulership, they will stifle the people. Because they won't create room for the good of the people, it's his great mercy and his wisdom that was doing this. He goes on, he says, For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and to slay them before me. to receive the kingdom, so he was definitely talking about himself. 
just saying, in the interim, before I come back to this is what I need you to do. In other words, he's talking about now. He's talking about this time. He's talking about the season that we are living in. And he's saying, one of the priorities during this time is that you do business until I come back. So all of this is men and women right now say, hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> I'm in the right place. I'm doing what God called me. Despite many religious philosophies that have roamed around over the years, poverty is not a virtue. God hates poverty. Don't raise your hand. Have ever, any of you ever been poor? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> it is not nice. There is nothing redeeming about it at all. One of the greatest frustrations of not having resources at your fingertips is that the, the desire to do good that is bursting in your heart becomes much more difficult. And it's so hard. It wants you to fulfill every dream in your heart. He wants you to hear the heart of his father, grasp the values of his kingdom. And allow those things to just get larger and larger in your heart and explode in acts of kindness and goodness and growth and expansion around you. How many of you have walked past a family at some stage and seen the desperation of their poverty and your heart said, I want to do something? And guess what? God wants you to do something. He wants us all to have. So, so many resources that would be like, I don't, oh my word, what am I supposed to do with this million rand that I have here? Bring it on. Oh, this is so tiring. <laughs> <laughs> to work out what to do with all this abundance. Oh my word, I got another car. What am I going to do with this? <laughs> Who am I going to give to all my friends of cars? I gave them all one. Now I've got to go and find someone. Yeah. Yeah. No, really. That's who we are, church. <laughs> Seriously, let, let our greatest worry be what on earth are we going to do with all this abundance around us? Seriously. Seriously. Let us be a people that are having to invent ways to give. Are you in? Yes. 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 Some ways that we do business until we come is to multiply resources. <laughs> yeah, the, the greatest symbol of multiplication is little bunny rabbits. <laughs> one bunny's fine, two bunnies. There's no such thing as two bunnies. Once you have two bunnies, you have a thousand bunnies. <laughs> Take care of them. Yes, many of them. When God had finished creating man, he looked man 
staring straight in my eye and say this. Much pride for you. Take dominion over you. Give it all. With the glory of God that you can. He put on us a mandate. A mandate to multiply resources, to find what's around us and make it bigger. Have you ever wondered, ladies, why God didn't just have gold chains chains of beautiful? cut diamonds in gold settings just lying around. I thought about that because if I were God, I think it would be a really great way to decorate my world. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't do that. Have you ever seen a a rough diamond? It's not not so great. It looks like a piece of of unpolished glass, just a broken bottle lying there. knew about the sparkling beautiful things. He, he hid in the ground right ordinary looking clear stones. And his intention was that we would dig them up one day, drop them, see them break. I don't know how we first broke a diamond because the only thing that breaks a diamond is a diamond. But nonetheless, someone first decided to cut it and, and see what would happen. And lo and behold, in there they found this beautiful sparkly jewel. That was God's intention. When he put gold in the earth, he didn't put it in the form of gold chains and gold goblets and gold whatever. He put it as, I mean, have you seen gold ore? Seriously. There is nothing fantastic about that at all. But he put it there. And he put a mandate on us. Go find my treasures and make them better. Because he didn't want, he didn't want... Every, all his beauty that he was going to display in his creation just to be his. He wants to partner with us in creating something incredible. Andrew and I have this policy because of this mandate to multiply resources. Not that. We have multiplied by these. Unintentionally. But because of this mandate, we are determined that if anyone ever lends us anything, they will always get it back from the Lord. Now you're all going to be wanting to lend us stuff. <laughs> Just give us that old rocket, rickety car <laughs> and ask for it back in a month. But you know, sometimes we've rented houses or rented apartments, and our, our goal has been to make it better than when we got it. You know, every relationship I go into, my, my determination is to make this better than when I first came. Because there's a mandate to multiply resources. So many people feel like they don't have enough. But I, I promise you this, you serve God with abundance, you always have enough. Always. You just don't recognize what you have. When we first started this church, we had no money. I took over this church, sorry. And I remember saying, how are we going to grow this? And I went and I, I was praying and I thought of this principle that God never leaves you without the things you need to be successful. So I said, God, what have you given us that we can multiply? And he said to me, relationships. And so we simply went.
relationship we had and we brought the, either brought them in or had them come speak here or had them speak into our finances or speak into some of the systems and we pulled on every relationship. Guess what? <coughs> The wealth of a nation is not in how many resources it has, but in what its people are doing. There's gold in the ground, is not in the ground. There are other people saying there's gold in the bank, is not in the ground. There's this wonderful uh, principle. Oh, yes. <laughs> the next principle that this uh, parable highlights that we'll need to circulate currency. Literally, gold in the bank doesn't know what it's going to Who cares how many bullion bars you have on your desk? Really, it doesn't make you happy. I want you to imagine for me a man. Makes his living by carving small wooden figurines. And he sells them at curio shops and he has a little store on the side of the road where tourists come to buy from him. And one day he makes a big sale and he gets a hundred grand and he's so delighted by it. And he goes and finds a nearby little family run eatery. He goes inside and he purchases for himself a meal worth a hundred grand, hands over his hundred grand notes, and he joins them down. The man who runs this little eatery. He takes that 100 grand and he says, I need to go and buy some more food to make more food so I can make more money. And he goes out and he buys from a street vendor tomatoes, onions, all the things he needs to prepare a delicious meal for the future. Hands over the 100 grand. That street vendor selling vegetables on the side of the road now has the 100 grand. And he decides, you know what that girl had prophesied? And just want to make an impression. He says, I notice she always stops at the stall of the man who makes those wooden figurines and seems to love them. I'm going over there. He buys one of the wooden figurines so that the next time the girl comes by, he can say, excuse me, man, but look what I have for you. They get married and have lots of children and multiply them all the time. <laughs> That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that the hundred grand Ended up right where it started. In the hands of a man carving your own figurines. In essence, in that ecosystem, so to speak, no more money was added. Do you understand that? The money just circulated. And every one of those three people felt like they had gotten wealthier. But you had to add nothing to the system except they made that. That's the remarkable thing. That without ever having to add anything to the system, if you can get currency to flow in a community, everyone gets wealthier. And this is what Jesus was doing with these people. He's saying, I came to give you miners, but the one that hoarded his miner, what he was doing is he was stopping wealth from growing in the the other two that used it and they gained miners and the fact that they, they, they got wealthy themselves is immaterial. What happened is the entire community in which they traded 
would have felt themselves in the market. When people get fearful, what do they do? They stop spending and they stop hoarding. They stop investing and they stop holding on to what they and one of the rules of economic that's true because the Bible ratifies it is that unless money and resources circulate in the community, it will be poor and poor. And so one of the most profound things you can do in South Africa is be in the moment in the moment. Is not spend all your money and be poor. That's not the answer. But is to be generous. Give of your time, your money, your efforts into the system so that everything is raised. The quality of living of every worker rises. Proverbs 11, verse 25 says this A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. One of the things we are very keen to start, and I've started working with someone who's it's going to help us get it up and running. Is the Bible also talks about the fact that we are to do good, especially to the household of faith. And it's talking about this principle is that if we can get finances to move within this community, all of you will grow up together. And so one of the things we are looking at doing is on our website having two pages um, services and goods office, offered, services and goods needed. So that we can be determined that in amongst our community, we can make sure that God is creating an environment where we can pull on the people around us and we can allow the finances to flow in us and the resources to flow in us. Now, I think we can give a lot of hand for this. The last thing that's not specifically mentioned in this parable, but certainly it is about doing business to like him, is that we create employment. R.C. Sproul, who's a, a famous theologian and writer in his book, Biblical Economics, said this. He said, e economics is not all esoteric charts and graphs. When the economy stumbles, the unemployment rate rises. The unemployment rate measures real human pain. Unemployment hurts a person's self-esteem as well as his pocketbook. Pocketbook is an American way of saying bank balance. One of the reasons you run businesses or work well in your business is to create employment in your nation. Because a person is unproductive. Self-esteem goes down and the entire environment around them drops. And one of the things that God loves is that when we are productive and when we are, are using our resources and multiplying our resources, there's a, a residual effect that happens whether we try it or not, that employment is created. We suddenly need help. And what you do is you pull people out of unproductivity to productivity. The cycle self-sustains over and over and over. The last, or another principle I want to look at is one of economic justice. You notice at the end when the ruler comes back, he kills all those people <laughs> who are living contrary to his 
his way of doing economics. Jesus isn't going to go and kill people who, who are not tithing. But just in case, tithe. <laughs> God is fiercely interested in economic justice. We all come out of a, a system that was unjust. And to some degree, we're all living in a system that is unjust, different, just in different ways. Apartheid cut out a portion of the population from, from having economic self-determination. And corruption inadvertently cuts out a large portion of this population from having economic self-determination. And Jesus is everyone knows we all stuff like that. The purpose of justice. Oh, sorry, no, let me there was a reporter, and he is he's still alive, his name is Dan Snow, and he, he spent a number of years in the DRC. And in the DRC, he had to kind of research the history and research what was going on and why this very wealthy country experienced such high levels of poverty. He writes this in an article that he wrote for the BBC in 2013. He said this, The DRC is potentially one of the richest countries on earth, but colonialism, slavery, and corruption have turned it into one of the poorest, one of the poorest, sorry, limitless water from the world's second largest river, the Congo, a benign climate, and rich soil make it fertile, make it fertile. Beneath the soil, abundant deposits of copper, gold, diamond, cobalt, uranium, Colton and oil are just some of the minerals that should make it one of the world's richest countries. Instead, it is the world's most rich. He then was asked a question, and the question went like this. If you could pick just one thing to change in Congo, what would it be? His answer, the rule of law. People need protection. When rights are violated, sorry, people need protection when rights are violated to start businesses and to find out Government's role in the economy of this nation is justice. To create a level playing field, to create an environment of fair means and fair opportunity. As we have elections coming up, whatever you need to vote, vote that. By justice, a king gives a country stability, but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. Proverbs 20. Injustice, and I know that many of you come through a system where, where it's been very hard for you to do that. Many of you find yourself in other situations, but because of injustice, things have been very hard. But I'm here to say that God has a plan to end this. God has a plan to raise up a nation where the playing field is level, where anyone who wants work can get work, anyone who has the the personalities to start a business can do it and succeed. Where the resources are moving and the currency is flowing, so that everyone is flowing. 
truth is. This parable also highlights another thing. Is that when God, when Jesus left these ten people who took their minor, which was about three months worth of salary, he left them with a lump of money and said, do this as well. He left them in an environment where the people hated them and hated his word. In other words, the word of God. It wasn't a just And even in such environments, he is saying to you, you can still fly. Because you have access to something that is so powerful. That's my power, my supernatural ability. You can be wiser than anyone around you because you have me. You can be more resourceful than anyone around you because you have me. And you have favor that you don't deserve. Even people who don't like you are going to find themselves having to fly to what will make you better. Why? Because there's a favor of God around you. Do you know this? The most persecuted nation in the world ever in history, time and time again, are the Jewish people. Do you know who the richest nation in the world is? <laughs> they do. That's why they persecuted so much. Because people look at why have you got all this wealth? That's why Hitler hated them because they were so wealthy. Why is that? Because they actually believe this stuff. They actually believe that I have a favor from God. That when I step out of here, even this person who doesn't like me, guess what? They're going to have to comply to the prosperity anointing that is on me. man's name is Kirby John Caldwell. I had to put his picture up because Kirby John, I mean, what do you think that he did? I mean, I think he was prophet in his gentleman. But this is Kirby John Caldwell. Interestingly enough, he grew up in a very poor area in the United States. His father was a tailor, and he himself struggled in a very violent neighborhood to stay safe faced racism on every side, difficulties, but his parents were Christians. And they took him to church, taught him the principles of the Bible. Guess what? He graduated, I don't know if it was top of the class, but well from school, got into a great university, graduated well. When a, within a short amount of time, he was extremely successful on Wall Street. And you know what he said? See, I'm not doing this just to be wealthy for wealth's sake. He gave it all up and he went to his, back to his community and found 25 people and he said, I'm going to teach you how to present To this date, he has built a kind of office park that, that um, has a school and a community center and um, office space. And employs over 600 people. And he's in the process of building a housing project in that same community to house single moms and people coming out of addictions. The community as a whole has gone from one of the most impoverished to a very stable, wealthy, excuse me, middle class society. Because he said, God has blessed me. 
the church of 14,000 people. I didn't, I, didn't want, I didn't want to emphasize his church, but, <laughs> but he does. He has a church of 14,000 people. Amen. You can be good at business and good at church at the same time. But if we have to look at thriving in a hostile environment, I want to give you a few little clues. Is that okay with you? First of all, you have to change your mindset to I have what it takes. I'm not waiting for some outside knight in shining shine armor to come and rescue me or give me a handout. God is already placed within you what you need to succeed. One John says that we have an anointing from him. The next thing is to remember the mission and who you are. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What does that mean? Means we have a mission to change stuff. If you, as I've said many times, if you're in a hard situation, God is delighted. Why is he delighted? Because he put you there to change it. He needs some salt and light in there. He hates terrible situations, so he will put his best into them so that he can change them, bash them open, destroy the strongholds of the enemy, make things new, better, and good. Amen. Remember this. Excellence opens doors. It says, he who is skilled in what he does will, will serve before kings, not for before unknown men. Be good at what you do. Listen to my sermon from last week. Do what you need to do to get better. You know, we often feel like it's our environment persecuting us. But in essence, it's our environment pushing us to be better. I'll never forget this one time. If you raise godly children, it will come back to nursery. I, I was once given the task of leading a, of setting up a women's conference. And I was working really hard at it. And all the women that I was leading that were helping me do it were just not behaving themselves. Seriously, they all wanted to do their own thing. And they all had their own ideas. And when I asked people to get things done, nothing got done. And I came home. And I was sitting at the breakfast table. And I was just complaining. Like, these women you gave me, Lord. <laughs> and my son was sitting there. He looked me straight in the eye. I'm so gross. I don't know. <laughs> He looked me straight in the eye and he says, Mom, it's not their fault. He said, it's your fault. You just have to be a better leader. I think he said it kind of in that. That's how I heard it. <laughs> and you know, it suddenly dawned on me. Quit complaining. Dig into God. Grow in your leadership capacity. Find what you need to find to make the situation successful. Because God has put everything inside of me that I need for success. I have an anointing. So if you're being overwhelmed by your circumstances, grow so that you overwhelm them. <coughs> Increase your capacity. Isaiah says, enlarge the place of your tent. Extend your tent heads. Make things bigger. Why? Because you have not received a millionth of what God wants to give you. You know what, if you, if you go to a waterfall with a thimble and hold your, the thimble out in front of the waterfall, you know what it's going to do? It's that little thing, that little thing you put on your finger to stop the needle from quickly cleaning your hands, sorry. And all of you go like, 
Okay. Andrew's giving me a better option. A communion cup. You know those little communion cups? You go and hold that under a waterfall. It doesn't matter how much water there is in the waterfall. You're only getting a communion cup. So let's get a bigger vessel. Let's grow our faith. Let's expand what we will believe for. So you can stand under that waterfall with, I don't know, a swimming pool. <laughs> Avoid clicks. The Bible talks about that without wood, a fire goes out. So without gossip, a quarrel is stopped. You know, sometimes the reason that environment is hostile is because everyone's And you want to be part of this trick and you want to get that, and part of this trick and you want to be part of that, get that. You know what, guys, I want to say just, just, just leave it all behind. Seriously, God doesn't need you to be part of that or this or whatever to bless you. You be excellent at your work, you love everyone, and you keep your heart clean, and God will make a way for you. And the last time, Stay with Jesus. Amen. That's just a rule for life. I just put it in there because that just is always true. If Jesus knows the way. He knows how to walk on water. He knows how to pop seeds. He knows how to make tax money be in fish's mouth. He knows how to multiply bread. He knows how to fix the problems you're facing. Stay with him. Listen to him. Allow his voice to feed your soul. That you remember who you are. You remember the mission you are. Don't be deceived by your environment. Amen. Amen.